Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're in the middle of our series called 21 Days of Change. Pastor Nicole is looking specifically at how prayer and fasting can unlock God's plans for us. And to do that, we're looking at four different people from the Bible and how they approached fasting and prayer and what God did in their stories. In the first week, Pastor Nicole looked at Nehemiah and examined what it means to fast for change in our lives. Last week, Pastor Daniel Brooker examined fasting for healing and looked at the Old Testament story of Daniel. Today, Pastor Nicole is back to look at fasting for clarity. When we're facing problems, how can fasting unlock the answers we seek? That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's get started. Here's Pastor Nicole. Over the course of this 21 uh, Days of Change series, we're looking at four biblical examples of people who fasted and prayed and the change that they experienced. And so we started with Nehemiah. Uh, Last week, Pastor Daniel taught about the character of Daniel. And today, we're going to study a man named Ezra in the scripture. Uh, Now, if you remember, fasting is an act in which we deliberately and voluntarily deny self out of a reverent fear of God. I often describe it like this. Fasting is when we say no so we can say yes better. It's when we say no, so we can say yes better, more confidently, more quickly, more uh, ready to say yes to God when he asks us to do things. I want to encourage you um, to fast one day, three days, every day until dinner, whatever you choose uh, in the next 21 days and expect God to change things. Now, there were lots of people um, in the Bible who fasted. I picked just four to talk about this month. Uh, But there are lots of examples in the Bible of people who had problems. Anyone ever had a problem? Do you have a problem today? Okay, I have three at least. That was a kid reference, but I'm just kidding. I love all of them. Um, But you might remember a man named Job, okay? Job had all the problems. Job was known as the problem guy, if you remember Job. Physical suffering, mental, emotional stress, fear, doubt, grief, extreme loss. Job had all the problems. And Job is the oldest book in the Bible. He represents the earliest of all of humanity. And I think in some ways that's why Job had all the problems, is because what we can understand is that if you're a human, you're going to have problems. (laughs) It's not just because we're living in the 21st century. It's because all of humanity had problems. In fact, Job 14.1 said it this way. Job's speaking. He says, mortals born of women are a few days and full of trouble. Isn't he a ray of sunshine? Okay, but that is what he is experiencing. Job is having this understanding that his days as a human are going to be full of trouble. If you have a problem today, you are in good company. And even though we should not be surprised when trouble comes, I feel like so often we think, why me? Why now? Why this? Anybody else? Like every time I have a problem, I'm like, why me? Why did this have to happen? A few months ago, I got invited uh, to speak at the University of Valley Forge. It's an Assemblies of God college near Philadelphia. And Joel and I, uh, we packed the car and we drove across the state and the trunk was full of luggage Um, because I needed like every outfit I might need, you know, in the shoes situation. Okay. And I had a few sermon illustrations in case I needed those, a stool, and this pulpit. Okay. 
Now, Joel said, honey, they ha they'll have one there for you. I'm like, no, I like this one. Like, this is the one I am taking with me. And so uh, I made him take it with me. He really loves me a lot. So he, <laughs> he, he packed the pulpit in the back of the car. And the university is 409 miles from here. So we are getting super, super close. And the GPS glitches and misses the exit to our hotel. So we get off the highway. We circle back one exit. And in that one mile of highway, okay, that one mile that we weren't even supposed to be on, but we did because the GPS glitched, all of a sudden, the tire of our car blew out. And we could literally see the hotel, okay? Like, we're on the side of the road, and we're like, there's the hotel. We would have got there if the GPS wouldn't have glitched. I think I might have got blamed for the glitch, but it wasn't me. It really wasn't. It was the, the internet that failed us in that moment. So we had driven 408 miles just fine and dandy, just all good, but one mile from the hotel and our tire decided it had enough. And you know what I thought in that moment? Why me? <laughs> Why now? Why this? Now, Joel, I'm, luckily I'm married to a superhero. He gets out of the car. In fact, I distinctly remember he looked at me and said, time me. <laughs> I said, okay. And he got out of the car and in eight minutes on a six lane highway, he changed the tire. Uh, but of course, don't forget, he had to unload several suitcases, a few sermon illustration props, my stool and this pulpit to get to the tire at the bottom of the trunk. So, if, <laughs> yes, hero status. He still let me in the car. <laughs> if you are a living human being, you're gonna have problems. But the question is, what do we do when the problem shows up? So I wanna take us to Ezra. In the book of Ezra, he tells the story of how he was bringing a group of Jewish people back to Jerusalem, and they had been in captivity in Persia. And so he gathered a group of them on the bank of the Ahava River, and in order to get back to Jerusalem, this group of people had to travel through some deep wilderness. In fact, the area that they had to travel through was nicknamed the Badlands, okay? Because there were gangs of thieves who lived in that area who, <clears throat> excuse me, who attacked caravans of people and stole everything they had. And Ezra really needed protection because he was leading all of these defenseless people through the Badlands. As I was reading Ezra, uh, I thought of this old game, okay? Does anybody remember this, the Oregon Trail? Okay, thank you. you my daughter, Cecily, who's 14, is like, what? But in this, video, in this, in this uh, game, you had to take your pioneer family across the river in the wilderness without drowning or getting dysentery or losing all your cattle. This is my middle school whole career right here. We played Oregon Trail. And this is what's happening. Ezra is bringing these people across the wilderness uh, and, and knowing that there's all of these um, things that obstacles and challenges and things that could happen to them. And so Ezra and the Jewish people are, are going across the badlands with everything they owned. They had household goods. They had treasures that were accumulated. They probably had their pulpits, okay? They had everything that they were going to do because they were going from one land to live in another. It wasn't just a trip. They were taking everything they owned. In fact, in Ezra 8.26, it, it gives you a list of all the silver and gold and bronze um, that they were traveling with. And I, I did a little calculation. And in today's terms, it would value $175 million. 
That's what they were traveling with. And so they were a little worried <laughs> that, that they were going to be captured. Maybe they'd be put back in isolation. They'd lose all of their life savings. And so there was some concern there. And so in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, Ezra is speaking, and this is what he says. There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I, I love Ezra's faith. He puts all his eggs in one basket. He says, listen, I have a problem, but I know what I need. I need the one who fixes problems. <laughs> I need the one who knows all the answers. I need the one who has all the resources. I need the one who is everywhere all the time, all knowing. I need the king of kings to help me. That's what I need. And so whatever your problem is today, I want to tell you, you can do the same thing. You can model after Ezra. And I just want to look at a few steps this morning, and I outlined them on this blue uh, piece of paper so you could take them with you uh, very practically. You might even want to make some notes on here as we talk this morning uh, about different things that, that you will want to uh, do personally to have an Ezra fast uh, over this next week or so. Uh, so here's the first one. Pick your partners. Pick your partners. So in this situation with Ezra, uh, he doesn't just fast himself. Okay, so he doesn't say, I have an idea. We all need protection. I will fast. He says, I'm going to call all the people who are traveling in this group to do it with me. This problem was a group problem. <laughs> Ezra said, uh, this problem is a group problem. It's part of my problem. And so a private problem requires a private fast. But a group problem requires a group fast. So I want you to think about what concerns you and who else does it concern? Who else does this problem affect? And ask them to partner with you on a fast together. Maybe there's a person in your life that uh, you love that needs divine intervention, that needs a touch from God, that needs a miracle, that needs a pr uh, financial provision. Ask some people who know and love that person to fast with you. Say, hey, I'm going to fast for this person's healing. Will you help me? I know you love them too. It's a group problem. It affects all of us. And so we're going to ask that we can partner together. Maybe it's an issue you see in your neighborhood or our city or this nation. Think about this. Who else have you talked to about this problem that is also burdened by it? Who have you had the conversation with and you both think, oh, yeah, I'm really concerned about the youth in this city. Or I'm really concerned about foster children. Or I'm really concerned about whatever it is. Whoever you've talked to about it, now, here you go, go back to that person and say, hey, let's fast together. Because this is a group problem. This is something God can do for all of us. Maybe find some other moms who want to pray and fast for their kids' first day of school. Find some other people who have a heart for human trafficking to end. Find some other people who are battling anxiety. Instead of sitting over a cup of coffee and talking about how anxious you feel and how you don't see a way out, say, hey, let's fast together. Why don't we do this together? Because when God redeems me, it's going to encourage you. And when God redeems you, it's going to encourage me. And so this is a group problem. Pick your partner. Pick your partner. All right, number two. Plan to pray. Now, this might seem obvious, but for a meaningful fast, it's not just about withholding food. The prayer part, the intercession part, in place of the food, is really the point. If you're not praying while you're fasting, 
you're just hungry, okay? I mean, that's all that's happening. And so you have to pray as you fast. Uh, Verse 23, Ezra describes the fast like this. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. He uses that word petitioned. Ezra had great confidence that God would and could protect them, and he asked in faith, and he believed God would do it. You know, fasting added to prayer communicates how serious the people were about reaching the heart of God. And if you get serious with God, he will get serious with you. If you get serious with God, he will get serious with you. And so I want to encourage you, make some prayer points about your problem. What specifically are you praying for? What are you believing God for? What do you think you need to help with the problem? Is it joy? Is it protection like Ezra? Is it wisdom? Is it hope? What scriptures can you pray that pertain to the problem? Here's number three. Fast and pray first, not last. So often uh, we approach a problem with the traditional strategy, right? We brainstorm all the possible solutions. How many of you are like pro and con list people? Like you'll just make Target Walmart, you know, you make the pro and the con list. Um, or, Or for example, maybe if you're facing a money problem, the first thing you do is you try to think of all the ways you can get out of it. Right? Who can I borrow money from? How can I arrange payments to defer my loans? Maybe I can win some money somehow. That never works, by the way. Just, it's, it's a trick. But then when everything else fails and we are totally out of solutions, we get to this point where we're like, well, there's nothing left to do, but I, I guess I'll pray and fast. So this is what Ezra is teaching us. The very first thing he does The very first thing he does is he gathers up all the people and he says, listen, before we go into the wilderness, before we get into trouble, before we try to hire private security, before we try to whittle some sticks into spears so that we have weapons, we will fast and pray first. First, not last. In fact, he didn't even try to solve the problem before fasting and praying. And I believe the timing of the fast is just as important as the mechanics of the fast. Because when you say to the Lord, the first thing I'm going to do is fast and pray, God sees your faith. Now, I'm not saying later God might say, okay, go hire the private security or go whittle the sticks or whatever that is. But the first thing you do is fast and pray. Then God might tell you an action that you were to take. We talked about that in Nehemiah. We need to be willing to do the work. But first, don't try to solve it yourself fast and pray. Here's number four. Size up the problem. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, uh, I would say the scariest problems are the ones that feel big, the ones that feel complex, the ones that feel bigger than us, maybe the ones that overwhelm us. I I think of the Old Testament story of David. He was a shepherd boy. Uh, Remember, he met a giant named Goliath. Uh, If David would have logically worked out whether he could defeat Goliath, it would have been a no-brainer, like no way. Like he was tiny and small. He didn't have any weapons and this guy was giant. But David knew that God was bigger and more powerful than Goliath. And if God was on David's side, he had nothing to lose. And I think what happens is we tend to measure our problems against our own strength or our own abilities. And so we feel overwhelmed or defeated before the battle even begins because we know our weaknesses. We know our insecurities. And so we kind of put the white flag up and we're like, this problem's too big. 
Like, I, there's no way that I will be able to conquer this. There's no way that I'll have favor again. There's no way God can restore this situation. But we have to compare the giant, not to us, not even to what we see, but we have to compare the giant to God, the God who is on our side, the God who is bigger than any problem, the God that is bigger than the universe, the God that has every resource that we need. When we compare the problem to God, it can feel a whole lot different. I want you to hear from my friend Jake today. He had a big problem that met a very big God this week. And so would you clap for him as he comes? All right, so Jake, tell us a little bit about a problem that you had uh, and kind of how it came to be. Okay. So I've been fighting issues with uh, physical health for the past better part of a decade, mostly with my knees. Um, I've injured it in Afghanistan and congruent injuries after that. Um, so much to the fact I've spoken with four previous doctors and all of them have said that there's serious issues that will eventually require surgery and replacement. I've had seven, seven several different injections into my knees. Um, and I don't know who I was here last week, but there was a specific prayer that Pastor Brooker put up. And during that prayer, he's prayed for somebody's knee specifically the right knee. And my, uh, my right knee has been the most issue that I've had. So I injured it recently again and went back to uh, the doctor, spoke with the doctor, had x-rays and MRIs, had the follow-up. After that follow-up, he pulled me in. He said, everything looks great. You're good to go. Maybe a little bit of a bruising, but you're all right. And I was furious because <laughs> for a better part of a decade, I've been tossed around to the VA and other sources. So it was actually my wife who's unfortunately not here today, but she reminded me, she said, do you remember that prayer? I said, you know what? I don't. <laughs> so I actually reached out to Pastor Brooker and asked him, you know, to reiterate what he was praying over. So I gave my MRI to my mother, who works in a hospital down in Beaver as well. And she gave that to two of her friends who are also orthopedic surgeons. And both of them had said the same thing. So previous to her giving me that news, on the Wednesday, from the tip of my toe to the top of my knee, there was a burning sensation all day. And I could not walk hardly. I mean, Quint seen me a couple weeks before. I was hobbling around. And Thursday morning, I woke up. Normally, I wake up out of bed and have to catch myself from falling. Thursday morning, woke up, stepped out of bed. No problem at all. So, so if there's any doubt that prayer doesn't work, this with, without a doubt, hands down, it works. You know, we need to ask God for eyes to see the problem. 
because perspective matters. What we see might feel like a knee that's never gonna get better, that like a knee that needs surgery, like a place that we're gonna hobble out of bed every morning for the better part of a decade, he said. But you know what God saw? A place for a problem that could have a miracle. That's what God saw. And we measured the problem to the fact that God could do a miracle. And I wanna let you know today that Jake's not the only one who called this week and said that the Lord healed their right knee. Jake's not the only one. There were others that said, I had a problem and I woke up the next day and God healed me of that problem. And so let me tell you today that sometimes one of the greatest benefits of the Ezra fast is that God can give you fresh eyes to see your problem. And as you fast, you will see the problem through God's eyes. Here's the last step, surrender the problem. Surrender the problem. In fact, I want you to stand up for this step. And I want you to think about the problem maybe that you have right now, whether it's a physical thing, emotional, relational, whatever that is. And in God's perfect sovereign plan, I want you to know he may have allowed that problem in your life to help you draw closer to him. That's not what we like to hear. That, that, isn't, uh, that isn't our favorite answer. But sometimes, every once in a while, God might say, look, that problem is there. I know it's there and I'm hearing you. And there's a reason that it's there because I'm using that to help you understand me. I'm using that to help build your faith. I'm using that to do something new and perfect and direct and instruct. I wrote there on the paper, God uses problems to direct us. He uses problems to inspect us. How are we responding to the problem? Because God's gonna do something with that. He uses problems to correct us. He even uses problems to protect us sometimes. And he uses problems to perfect us. You know, God is far more interested in our character than in our comfort. And your relationship with Jesus and your character are the only two things you're gonna take with you to eternity. So God's gonna do things with those. And we don't know all the ways that God is working, even within our problems. But I want you to hear me say this morning that we can trust him, that he will work in and through every problem that we have. And so this week, as you think about fasting for a problem, I want you to remember what Ezra did. He surrendered it to uh, the Lord. He said, if, you, if this problem is something I have to deal with, okay, Lord, I'll take it, but you help me know what to do with it. And so would you put your hands out like this if you uh, feel comfortable? I'm gonna pray over you this morning. Jesus, we have problems. <laughs> and we, we actually hold them out to you this morning. We surrender them to you. God, we pray that you would show us some people in our lives that can help us fast and pray for these problems, that who else does it affect? Lord God, we pray that you would help us pray and fast and really come to you and ask you for your divine intervention. And Lord, we commit to doing it first, not last. We're not gonna try to solve this problem that we have in our hands this morning. We're gonna ask that you help us solve it, that as we fast and pray, you would give us the steps to walk out. God, we pray that we would size up this problem that we're uh, thinking about right now to the size of our God, not the size that we feel like it is. Lord, in fact, would you even shrink it? Even now, as, as we're praying about it, would you shrink the size of the problem as we imagine it is up against the glory and the goodness and the sovereignty of who you are? Lord, nothing overwhelms you, nothing. You make all things new. And we trust, Lord God, that you are a good, good father. And so we surrender our problems to you. And it's in your strong and giant and mighty name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Erie First podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.